0: This week's episode is brought to you by Horizon Books. That's right folks, we are the last known podcast not brought to you by ZipRecruiter or Me Undies. We will not find you the right candidate for your job. We are not made of fashionable modal. We just sell awesome used books. Mention UpZones at the register for a 10% discount. Our sponsor this week is Horizon Books and this is UpZones. wrap to elect yourself baby things are changing to
1: get
0: said but you know it's true you to elect yourself things are changing to you elect yourself to you elect yourself hey it's me happy monday how's it going yeah yeah this is upzones Welcome back. Took a little vacation last week. Ready to talk. Ready to face the world again. It's really not a surprise. It won't be a surprise to anyone who listens. I'm probably somewhere between the two poles of Seattle politics, meaning uh, standard status quo Democrat and radical leftist. I I sort of reject both for different reasons and value uh, my progressivism nonetheless. And if there's one issue in recent weeks and months that has me right on the fulcrum, really between the two dualities of what I believe personally, it's this so-called headcount tax. Which you'll see later when we get into talking with Ethan, who's the perfect guest for this conversation, by the way. You'll see that he, I mean he doesn't even think we should call it a headcount tax. It's a, it's a different thing entirely as far as he's concerned. But that's how they're raising the revenue. So let's just keep calling it that for now. That headcount tax just sits right on the exact line, the mesh point for me of what it means to be progressive, but also have common sense about supply and demand and, and markets. It's hard, man. In this city especially, we're all um, – I think we've done a really good job in this city of carving out identities around progressivism, around – Gosh, you know, just the politics here are so acute. They're so concentrated. Activism is very different here than uh, back east where I not only grew up, but did my own learning in the political arena. It's a lot more personal. And I know the comeback there is that, uh, you know, you shouldn't be buddy-buddy with people who are out to eat your lunch or marginalize you in some way. But I I don't know that I buy that in every case all the time. I think... (laughs) I think there's something broken in Seattle, and one of my motivations is to help get the right folks, uh, whether it's on this show or elsewhere, uh, in a conversation to try and fix it. And it's just really good to see someone who is tech, right, who is uh, a high earner, who is someone with that training and that background and that demographic actually speaking to the problem in a way that bridges that gap as well. Um, I don't think Ethan is broken. (laughs) I think he's doing great work. He, he takes a position. It's not just some pseudo-academic wishy-washy in the middleism. ism he's, he's, well, you'll see. But um, it's just good to have someone who represents a vested interest, ironically, not heard much in the debate. The tech folks are uh, the bad guy pretty often. And then the management at tech companies lobby the hell out of our government. But just standard everyday tech workers don't necessarily have organization right now and I think Ethan represents a really good view into what at least a sizable chunk of them thinks, which is important as we go through this change in our city. What does a tech worker think about displacement, gentrification, housing? What are they willing to pay for? I had a recent guest a few weeks ago, uh, Jennifer Zale. She's the artistic director for Intimon Theater, which free plug, go see one of their shows. They're amazing. And she threw something out at me that absolutely blew my mind. She said she didn't socialize with anyone in tech she didn't have a single friend who worked for any of the big let's say five to seven tech white collar companies in the city and I have friends personally in tech who are the same way who don't know artists except for through me I guess how are we going to get anything solved if that continues to be the case Uh, I think it's the responsibility of Amazon employees Microsoft employees Boeing employees zillow employees tableau employees google and facebook employees to engage with the city that is changing under the burden of their employment which they're entitled to by the way and they're entitled to live here and they're entitled to to buy and rent whatever is available on the market but how are we going to resolve some of these issues if those folks aren't talking to the people protesting them and vice versa that's what i think ethan's done here is begin that conversation so let's let's get started ethan p goodman Mm -hmm. So you guys have a, there's a, Monday's pretty big di- uh, you know, this is going to air yes. on the day yes. of a pretty big vote. Yes. Uh, what, what, are you, what are you thinking about that?
1: Well, I mean, first thing is, will there be a vote on Monday? I don't think that's for sure. I think that's well that's certainly what's on the calendar. Anything's possible. There's a committee meeting tomorrow, and under city rules, there's supposed to be something like a one-week Waiting period between passing out of committee and going to a full council, and that's to allow for comment. That's to allow for comment from the full council to kind of have time to consider what's coming from the committee. Now, council can waive those rules if it wants; they're its own rules. So it's planning on waiving those rules, but with the pretty intense political
0: situation right now, I would say anything is possible. So you know, walk me through you know what what I've heard. Mm -hmm. And we're just and it sounds like we're just feel like we're just jumping in here. Yeah, I'm gonna wanna talk about you a little bit. But sure. w- what what I've heard is that it's not clear that there's five votes and there just might be five, but there may not be six, which is what it would take.
1: Yeah, so, so I, if- I think where we're at now, as of, you know, Thursday, May 10th, so mm-hmm. our listeners will have a better idea of what actually yeah. happens when they hear this. I think there's five votes on council that they know they have. It takes six to override a mayoral veto. Uh, so obviously, council would like there to be six. I would bet the mayor would like there to be six mm-hmm. because then it's out of her hands. Right. Uh, you know, five is sort of the worst number for the mayor because right. then she has to make the call. Right. So probably everybody involved hopes they can get to six. Uh, and I think there's a lot of uh, negotiations behind the scenes right now to see if they can get it there.
0: So we're at a, in a tense point. What what brought you to this? What, you know, you're a UW guy, I yep. think, right?
1: Yeah, I didn't, went to grad school at UW.
0: OK, and you're uh, an engineer.
1: I'm an engineer by training, yep.
0: Look, tech and engineering are at the center of not only what you're doing with mm-hmm. Tech for Housing, but at the center of this whole conversation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, like you said, have uh, you know, been in tech and engineering my whole life but kind of flipping back and forth between a more traditional engineering career and public policy spaces Mm -hmm. over a number of years. I was at UW for grad school uh, in a Ph.D. program. Got a little disillusioned with doing just technology, felt like something was lacking there, and decided at that point that I really wanted to go into public policy work. Mm -hmm. So this is back in the mid-2000s. So I uh, dropped out of the Ph.D. program, uh, moved to Washington, D.C., interned with the Center for Democracy and Technology. CDT. Yeah. Yep. So you know of them. They're a civil liberties group. Gave that a try. Ended up working for the Sunlight Foundation, yep. which is another big nonprofit that does government yeah, transparency sunlight, work. B-
0: the Im- implication being Sunlight is the best disinfectant. Sunlight is the best Justice dis- disinfectant. Justice Frankfurter? Brandeis, or? Or Brandeis or? I believe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: It's a Brandeis quote that they're named after. So spent three years in D.C. working on mm-hmm. technology and policy around campaign finance reform, lobbying reform, disclosure of sort of money and influence related data at the federal level. And that was right at the time, right in the middle of that three years is when Citizens United came out and eviscerated our campaign finance laws. So it was a disappointing time to be working on campaign finance and government transparency work. And so I eventually moved on from that, came back to Seattle, uh, and took a job at Facebook and figured I... I had yeah, just sell out for a little while. So sell so out for a while, We got to do it at some point, yeah. Well, you know, it was funny. I'd been in tech at this point. I was early 30s. I'd been in tech for well over a decade, and had never worked for a big tech company. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, and so so to round out my like. experience, let's see what that's like. Yeah.
0: And it is interesting, isn't it, just that how diff, how high the stakes are, but then how mm-hmm. small of a piece every individual really is? You know, Well,
1: one of the things they pitched at Facebook at the time, which is now, you know, six years ago I worked there, was that there was... Uh, one engineer for every million users. And so the amount of sort of impact you could have on the world proportionally is very, very large. Right. I think that's still the case that if you want to reach a whole lot of people with your work, a big tech company is a great place to do that.
0: Right.
1: So I did that for a year. Didn't really like being out of the public policy space and the sort of mission-driven space. So left to to try and figure out what I could do other than work for a big tech company. And there wasn't Much nonprofit infrastructure here in Seattle, where you could use technology in a nonprofit context. That that really only existed in DC at the time. Right. And so, as I left Facebook, is right around when there was maybe the beginning of the current wave of housing crisis and political uproar and fights around housing. So it was really perfect timing that as I left Facebook, this issue was just coming to the fore. And uh, I started working almost immediately doing volunteer stuff around homelessness and getting more and more involved in housing. So I've spent the last probably five, five and a half years in some form working on uh, homelessness and housing policy. And
0: it's more acute than ever.
1: Yeah, it certainly has not gotten better in the last yeah. five or six years.
0: What What is it about your life and your upbringing mm-hmm. yep. and your background that has you focusing so much on housing. Sure, sure. And why, mm-hmm. let me ask you a two-part question here, why is it that you think tech tech mm-hmm. companies, mm-hmm. tech individuals, technologists, play yep. such a key role in that?
1: Yeah, so I grew up in the Bay Area, mm-hmm. uh, first 20 years of my life. <laughs> House, so.
0: Housing's doing great there. <laughs> yeah, so I
1: feel like in a lot of ways, I've seen this story before. Yeah. Like, yeah, this yeah. was happening back in the 90s, this was happening probably back in the 70s and 80s in right. California, right. so this is, a crisis that's been ongoing literally for generations. Slow burn in crisis the Bay Area. in the whole Slow western burn. United States. Yeah. And and everybody at each decade people kind of get more used to the status quo and forget that things are twice as expensive as they were 10 years before, but it's it's been going on for a long mm-hmm. long time. Mm-hmm. So I come from seeing that world and I came to Seattle in the early 2000s and obviously things were much cheaper in Seattle. There wasn't the same housing crisis in 2003 in Seattle. So I have that perspective of just how bad things can get, Mm -hmm. and I've also been embedded in the tech world down in the Bay Area and seen just how bad the reality of it can get in terms of homelessness, in terms of housing costs, displacement, but also how bad the political world can get in terms of just the level of animosity between different interest groups.
0: Sort of joint, joint mutual animosity that's...
1: Yeah. There's a lot of factions in the Bay Area that really, really dislike each other, which... We may think there's acrimonious politics here, but boy, go down to the Bay Area. It's a much different beast.
0: My take, uh, there are natural enemies, and one -hmm. can only ever be so if, you know, with someone who's trying to, you know, uh, aggressively kind of wrest your liberties from Mm -hmm. you. But in most cases, these are progressive, left of center, mm-hmm. they just have different perspectives, and it, when then we miss out on the, right. the commonality and what can we actually work together to achieve.
1: Yeah, which is something I'd like to, to get back to. That's a really important point. Mm. Um, I was going to say, though, to your question again of sort of what drew me into this and yeah, forms the perspectives tech, yeah. on this. You know, one of the things around six or seven years ago, uh, I was visiting my cousin in San Francisco who grew up there, still lives there. And he, in a moment of frustration, was just kind of shaking his head. And He's a carpenter, and he said, you know, Tech has ruined this city. Uh, he was living in South San Francisco at the time, paying like 3000 a month to live in like the converted basement of a laundromat, yeah. you know, just yeah. horrible conditions for an astounding amount of money. And he was really heartfelt that Tech had ruined the city he was born and raised and still
0: lived in. Excuse me. <laughs> tech is ruining me right now. <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah, and that's and that's that story is like you couldn't count on every finger and every toe how many times I mean, you hear a story yeah, just like that.
1: Yeah, and you know I don't think when he said it he had was thinking in any way that I was in the tech industry that the person he was saying that too had a personal interest in that. But
0: you're one of the good ones. Well, Ethan. <laughs> I don't know that there are good ones and bad ones. They're no, no, I'm, I'm, policy, say, I'm <laughs> saying this is probably his take. Oh well, yeah. well, you're not as bad as person. Yeah. So that motivated
1: me. And then the other another kind of motivating incident was. Um, uh, this is again about five, six years ago, there was, but this has happened again and again, some tech executive wrote a screed on Facebook against homeless people in San Francisco and how mm. they were contributing nothing to society and couldn't we get rid of them and ship them off somewhere so the good, productive members of the economy wouldn't have to see them on their this daily is commute. Real. Yeah, it was real and it's not isolated. Yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> And so a number of us here in Seattle, I was far from the only one, were just Saw that happening again. That sort of the biggest asshole grabbed the mic, got yep. national attention yep. for being such an asshole, and that was the only perspective being represented from the tech industry was when somebody said something horrible and I it want went viral. To see
0: homeless riffraff. Yep. Yeah, and so Justin Keller,
1: Justin Keller is one of them. Greg yeah. Goppelman is the one I'm thinking of oh, of okay. AngelHack. So you can probably find My numerous Wolfram, examples yeah. of this. Gosh,
0: um, there's a new how. Oh. Elon Musk outrage every six weeks. Elon
1: Musk is obviously very good at many things, but urban planning is not. No, no, or transportation. Or transportation, funnily for a guy who builds cars. But yeah. So yeah, just the feeling that there wasn't anybody stepping up and speaking on behalf of the tech industry and educating the tech industry about housing issues and trying to get the message out that not everyone in tech is like these occasional assholes who get to speak on the national yeah, stage.
0: Yeah. And then there's an opportunity too, because I think folks in tech, and you know I'm I, I'm on the business side mm-hmm. more than the, than the engineering side, but I think folks in tech bring a um, wide range of skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been given a lot of schooling and training and often have educational privileges, have uh, oh, yeah. experience that can be put to use in a pretty cool and interesting and, and maybe very productive way.
1: Yeah, they can. Uh, along with that comes a lot of hubris though about just how smart and talented yeah, they well, are, which is something that's that,
0: fair too. That annoys
1: yeah. people not in the tech industry. And in fact, I think you're seeing that in the the head tax debate uh, the past few weeks. You see business and tech saying, "Well, why do you need to tax us? Why can't we harness the innovation and talent of business to solve this problem?" That you know, government is so efficient, and if you just got all the smart people here in Seattle to put their mind to this problem, we could tackle it. Which always bugs me a bit because. A, if it were that easy, then why haven't you solved it already? Are you, you know, is the is the contention that business and tech could be solving our problems? They just choose not to.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, That's a very interesting point.
1: So yeah, you know, if if you think it's so easy to solve, like you don't need our permission, you disrupt every other industry without any permission. Go. Go fix homelessness if you think it's Well, so to easy. that
0: point, though, isn't there partially a question of engagement? I mean, I, I will say this. I, I, I genu- genuinely, this, we're here to talk with you, but I, mm-hmm. I think it's important to acknowledge one's biases. And mm-hmm. I, I genuinely sit like exactly halfway between, you know, Nikita Oliver and Dow <laughs> Constantine. I, yeah. I genuinely, or maybe Durkin, you know, mm-hmm. I genuinely believe that, there is a such thing as meritocracy. People mm-hmm. are better at certain other things. Not everything is a system of oppression, right? Yeah. And the flip side of that though is I I see I'm an MBA. Mm-hmm. I see the blind privilege and and just, I mean, staggering indifference and ignorance that a lot of really well educated people walk through the world yeah. with. And yeah, they think they that they can solve every problem. So my question is if you assume that some problems right mm-hmm. now, homelessness included, could be addressed and solved with the help of very smart people. What can we be doing to harness Mm -hmm. the very smart people, but in a way that actually points them and orients them toward the real problems?
1: I think when you're stepping outside of the area you know and into something that really affects real people's lives and vulnerable people's lives, Mm -hmm. you need to be really purposeful about learning first. I've been to so many sort of hackathons or brainstorms where tech people say, well, let's build an app
0: to help locate (laughs) services. And then
1: somebody who's out on the streets can open the app and see where the shelters are as if anybody's problem (laughs) is not knowing where a shelter is. And like, you know, I see that again and again. And it's, so I would say, you know, part of it is don't underestimate the complexity of the problem Mm -hmm. and people stepping into an area they know nothing about and being smart legitimately, but then thinking that means that with one weekend of research they think they can solve a problem that's been you know vexing us for decades so i'd say we need to com- there is obviously lots of expertise in the business world in the tech world but it needs to be combined with the area the issue area expertise that yeah. exists mm-hmm. in the world of um, housing developers and service providers and i think those two don't often come together enough i think you get sort of isolated attempts of people with no background in the issues trying to solve things but very little that's a real high-level collaboration its really bringing in top people from housing developers and service providers with tech talent. I'd love Mm. to see more of that. Who's doing that? Well, not enough people. I don't think there's a good example of a, I think there's plenty of examples of sort of individual volunteers. You can point to plenty of events, some of which I've helped put on, that bring individual people together from the tech world and try and introduce them to people Um, or in the service provider world and get them to work together and think together. But there hasn't been any initiatives that I know of that really have funding and permanence and high-level commitment from, you know, executives on both sides.
0: Yeah, and I I, I would say that even just living in in a desk job on a day-to-day basis, you start to, right around six to nine months is when you actually start to get the, it starts to soak in and you start to go, Mm -hmm. oh... Silly business example. Why isn't this pamphlet being put in this box when mm-hmm. it ships out? That would save us a million dollars a year, right? Yep. You don't get that on day one. Yep. You don't get that on even in week ten. You know, and, and what I would what I would wonder is maybe oughtn't there be some sort of a program, be it hosted funded by the city, be it funded by business interests, uh, you could align it so that it worked mm-hmm. for everyone in which tech and, I guess, your business types, your MBA Mm -hmm. types, were actually embedding. I
1: think that'd be great. Yeah. Um, There's been efforts uh, like Code for America to embed tech people within city governments, um, not on any particular issue area, but just sort of Mm -hmm. city government in general. Yeah, if somebody wanted to talk to me about setting up a program to do, you know, nine-month-long sabbaticals of tech people in nonprofits working on housing and homelessness, that'd be a wonderful program.
0: Yeah. Let's get some Amazon folks to do it. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> and for you guys, so tell me a little bit about actually about Tech for Housing.
1: Yeah, so Tech for Housing came about, um, about a year and a half ago, and I had been doing advocacy, like I said, for a number of years before that, and found that eventually that um, sort of doing advocacy as an individual wasn't ultimately going to have nearly as much impact as organizing a community together Mm -hmm. and one of the actual jumping off points I had for that was just watching the kind of older homeowner NIMBYs that were stopping progress and seeing how a small group of dedicated neighbors could show up at city council consistently and vocally Mm -hmm. and get their agenda listened to Mm -hmm. even if they only had you know eight people. Mm -hmm. And that was a real kind of light bulb moment for me because it meant you didn't necessarily have to get 10,000 tech workers marching in the street to have tech workers affect policy. If you can get four of them to show up at 9.30 a.m. on a Tuesday and do that consistently and make sure that there is a progressive voice from technology in the room, Mm -hmm. that starts to get you listened to. doesn't mean you're all powerful by any means, but it's a nudge in the right direction. Right. And so that's what we set out to do was get together that core of people who could turn out to hearings and turn out consistently enough so that politicians start to see us as a, as a force that is around, right. that has staying power, that will be involved next month and next year. Progressive
0: pro-density tech workers, not just mm-hmm. kind of tech develop, you know, d- 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 building developers, not yep. just the employer, but the actual yep. employee. Yeah. So our, our
1: audience, is anybody in tech, uh, whether that's in software development or business or marketing or HR... Uh, or contractors for tech, anybody who feels tech or tech-adjacent. And then our platform, at its most basic, is we need more public support for affordable housing, and we need to liberalize housing rules so we can build more housing and more kinds of housing.
0: Yeah. You got me. I'm on board. Sign me up. (laughs) All right. Um, So let's let's talk about this tax. Mm I will tell you that, if you remember what I just said, I I think I'm halfway between Mm -hmm. X and Y. I may be the last person in the city that's genuinely both engaged and agnostic to this tax. I I don't think uh, that's the case. I think a lot of people are pretty ambivalent about this. It's lonely, so maybe I need to meet (laughs) some of these folks. I think we need to... uh, I don't even think it's an unfair tax, and it's in principle, anyway. Mm -hmm. I think taxes are often a payment for externalities. Mm -hmm. I think you have... um, businesses that are creating certainly it's not something that i don't think there's any guys in a smoke-filled room planning this but mm-hmm. there are businesses that are creating a negative externality yeah. in which thousands tens of thousands of individuals are being displaced on a yeah. on a fairly regular basis you know the flip side of that though is i would say that there are some certain to be some unintended consequences the one in particular that i'm that i personally find the most telling or the most alarming is that this idea that it's based on revenue and not profit. So mm-hmm. you have, you know, these companies that might have very high volume like your grocery stores and stuff. Yeah. And so I see both sides. And I wonder, um, you know, you are mm-hmm. seem to be someone who is organizing mm-hmm. in a certain sense from that middle. From the yep. middle of this we try to this be. tension. Yeah. yeah. And so wh- where do you fall in this and, and yeah. what do you think is next?
1: So you know, I have some ambivalence about this tax and, and I'll explain why, even though we are supporting it. Um, I think as a policy isolated to just the policy question, I'm very much in favor. People call it a tax on jobs who are opposed to it, but nearly every tax is sort of unfortunate in that, you know, in a, no one a wants magical to pay world, money, we right? wouldn't tax anything ever, right. maybe except for some sin taxes. But the question is not, are we taxing something that we don't want to tax? It's, is the societal benefit we're getting worth the cost of that tax? Sure. And so in terms of costs... I mean just in terms of magnitude 20 million dollars a year for Amazon, you know they made 1.2 billion in profit this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry this quarter. $1. Mm-hmm. 1.2 billion in profit this quarter on like 50 billion in revenue this quarter. Mm-hmm. So the magnitudes involved are minuscule. Mm-hmm. To put it another way, you know, you look at what drives overall cost for a business. And this goes back to people saying that oh you're going to drive businesses away with a tax like this. And I I think that's complete bullshit, I think. You know, a business makes a decision about location based on the total costs and total benefits of a location. Mm-hmm. Biggest cost probably is just what is the market rate for talent? How much does it cost to employ people? Well, software developer salaries are going up every year by about $4,000. The average salary increases from like, it was like 125000 a year a few years ago to like 129000 mm-hmm. a year to like 130 thousand a year. Mm-hmm. So this incremental tax of $500 a year is barely noticeable just in the context of like how fast salaries are going up um, just from the market mm-hmm. rate of labor. Mm-hmm. So minuscule compared to that. Cost of real estate is a big one. Again, the real estate costs have been going up by way more than $500 per employee, just in terms of what it costs to rent space for an office each year. So when you look at like next year, what's going to increase Amazon's costs? The market rate for labor is going to be you know, a big increase in costs. The market rate for office space is going to be a modest increase in cost. And then this $500 an employee is going to be like a little yeah, fraction.
0: Yeah, I mean, there. $20 million, that, that is actually a very fair point because, you know, if you, it, it, as, as you have, at least mm-hmm. with Facebook, and I've worked now for several mm-hmm. large area tech companies, <laughs> yes. right, you might spend $20 million on engineering... Um, you know, a back office yeah. productivity tool yeah. that never dra- draws in, uh, an ounce of revenue, you know, yep. a penny of revenue. It's yep. all maybe cost avoidance or something. You,
1: you might put $100 million into a project that gets canceled that two fails. years later. Yeah, Right. And it has happened. It <laughs> uh, happened many times.
0: Amazon sold phones. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's fair. And that's mm-hmm. a, that's a valid point. But just to circle back around, right, mm-hmm. that is not something that can be said of the food industry, where mm-hmm. their revenue is $22 million, and all of a sudden, you know, but their yep. margin is, you know, 12%, right? Yep. And, and so what does this tax do to them?
1: Yeah, and that's a fair point. Again, I don't want to, like, gloss over the difficulties of it. I would just say, though, um, our options as a municipality in Washington state are very limited. Yeah. So one of the things that I think speaks in favor of this tax is it is one of the least regressive options we have. That's not to say it's a perfect tax, but if you look at other forms of revenue, well, you're going to increase the sales tax. That's a much more regressive yeah, super form regressive. of taxation. Yeah, yeah. Um, are you going to try and increase property taxes again? Well, we've already instituted a $300 million property tax levy for housing a few years ago. Um, I think the appetite for property tax increases is pretty well Spent. Mm-hmm. So there just aren't a, a lot of options. You know, right. if we could have a progressive income tax, that would obviously be better. But why not but we tax can't margin?
0: I mean, why not tax profit?
1: Well, A, I don't know that the uh, legal authority for that exists. Mm. I'm not sure on that question, yeah. but like I was saying, we have very limited statutory authority. And right. one of the primary reasons we're proposing a head tax right now is because there's precedent for it. We've done it before, right. it's legal for practical matters. It is a tax we can implement this year and start building homes next year.
0: And for for listeners, you know, Washington is what's known as a Dillon State, which means that the state legislature historically and contemporarily (laughs) has taken a lot of the power from municipalities to even tax themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, It's why when we get a subway Uh, The state's got to vote for it first, right? So that's just so that people are on the same page. This is what you're referring to. We have
1: very limited authority to determine our own taxation, and this is one of the few options we have.
0: Yeah. Oh,
1: about um, taxing margins. When you talk about a grocery store, that makes a lot of sense. Very thin margins. When you talk about Amazon, I'm less sure because they've famously not made profit for decades.
0: Right. And plow back. They They just plow back. And so,
1: is that really fair to not? You know, if you talk about uh, we only want to tax profit, that's the fair way to do it. Well, and then a company grows to be you know a trillion dollar company without making any profit, so they pay no tax. You know, Amazon paid no tax last year. I think they got a refund of some hundreds of millions of dollars. So
0: yeah, well if you yeah right, and so uh, there may be tweaking required. mm -hmm. And and you know I was listening to NPR this morning Mm -hmm. again Thursday when you listen to this Mm -hmm. Thursday the tenth and you know, there was talk that maybe Durkin comes back and says, I'll I'll, I'll approve this if you raise the, the number from 20 million, you know, so that you get it out of these kind of oh, I middle see. class yeah. companies. Yeah. Who knows, right? Who knows if that's going to happen? But maybe that's the tweak that we need maybe to make this something. Yeah. Well, and
1: to continue on sort of the overall thinking of this tax, um, you know, I, I really agree with it on the policy side. We talked about the why we're taxing in this way. I think the part that gets ignored too much is what are we spending the money on and why is that a good thing to spend the money on. It's really unfortunate to me that the whole name of this is the headcount tax and the progressive tax on business. Why talk? Why put the tax front and center instead of the thousands of people who are gonna get homes? Like that's the important part, not the fact that we're going to tax people. The important part is that we're going to house people. This should have been called, you know, the emergency housing plan for homeless Seattleites or something. something They could have come up with a cool
0: acronym. Yeah, Yeah. something
1: that emphasizes, like, the reason we're doing this is that we've got 4,000 people sleeping on the streets in Seattle. We had something like 170 people die on the streets last year, Uh 80 dead so far this year. I mean, if you had close to 200 people in a year dying from something preventable living in single family homes, (laughs) there'd be an outrage, like Mm -hmm. something is killing people, and it's it's exposure and poverty. And it's an emergency situation, as we've acknowledged in the city a number of times, but haven't really responded in a way that is sort of proportionate to that emergency. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to emphasize that, that what the money is being spent on is a good thing and a necessary thing, and that we have been building housing successfully in the city for a number of years, and that gets sort of glossed over, I think, Primarily, well, two reasons. One, we don't put big banners outside of affordable housing and supportive housing for formerly homeless people that, you know, say in thousand point font, formerly homeless people living here. Yeah, Look what we did. Yeah, look what we did. But they are there. They're all over the city. There are tens of thousands of units of housing that are income and rent restricted that the city of Seattle has built over the past 30 Mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. And that process works well. It just hasn't worked fast enough with the level that rents are increasing and people are being pushed. Yeah, that's,
0: that's, um, council member Gonzalez was suggesting today, that it's just an issue of of, uh, volume.
1: Yep, we've got a pipeline that is much more efficient than people think and much more effective, I think, than people think. Um, It's just not Big enough of a pipeline,
0: right? We're paddling water. We're doing actually a good job, but there's too much water coming over the side. We need a bigger, yep. a bigger pot to paddle yep. the water. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um,
1: and then to to carry that metaphor forward a little bit, you know, if the building of affordable housing is you know paddling out water, um, we also have to stop the leak to begin with, which is you know new people falling into homelessness, and that gets over to zoning and a whole other yeah, questions which is, of We address that issue policy. on the
0: show every week, Almost, yep. I mean, except for sometimes we're talking to artists maybe, but otherwise mm-hmm. that that to me is the central theme of mm-hmm. really everything civic, artistic, political, mm-hmm. economic in Seattle right now mm-hmm. is what is our housing supply, yeah. What how are we meeting housing demand. Yep. You can't, there's a, um, this isn't always a popular position among my radical friends, sure. but <laughs> migration is a human right even for rich tech bros right <laughs> yeah. so they're going to come right mm-hmm. and and so uh, what are we doing to right. catch that and yep. i think that is the fundamental issue in the city right now
1: i absolutely agree And long term that's what's going to determine the scale of this crisis or whether it is a crisis mm-hmm. 10 20 years from mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. and i think about the mission in san francisco which you know is a very hip neighborhood has been for a number of years also historically uh, poor neighborhood mm-hmm. And there's been huge fights, very nasty fights over gentrification and displacement. And it's, I think, a real example of politics gone wrong and not arriving at solutions, because the community that's been there for generations has effectively fought new development and zoning changes. The mission's physical architecture doesn't look much different than it did 20 years ago. Or 40. Or 40. You don't see new buildings going in. Have they in any way stopped displacement? No, no, it's it's the worst displacement around is in the mission, and so I think that gives a real counterexample to the notion of if we could stop new development, right. rich people wouldn't come here anymore. It's just That's not the case. so wrong. The rich yeah. people are still flooding into the yeah. mission. They're just. Taking the apartment that the poor person had right, before, right,
0: and then everybody loses, and money. everybody loses because, money. in fact, the rich the rich person would probably pay to up, uh, what do you want to say, to upgrade, if you will, yep. and and leave, you know, and allow that the more traditional housing for
1: yeah. Were there new housing, the rich people would probably take the new housing in preference to the many decades
0: old housing. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite bar in Seattle? Hmm.
1: Well, you know, I just moved um, next to the Hideout. On Bourne, yeah. So I'm going to say Hideout because uh, Hideout's it's a pretty that, cool I used place. to live right over there on Bourne yeah. and Cherry.
0: Uh huh. Um, we used to go to the Hideout. That was like our last stop. Usually, yep. we probably should have gone home and oh, yeah. to the Hideout yeah. instead.
1: And if you go to the Hideout, you you end up getting a gin martini, even yeah. though it's yeah. like 120 in the morning. Yeah,
0: you should get like a beer, but <laughs> yeah. you're going to get like a real <laughs> yeah. stiff drink. Yeah. And they have those the, the zines that they have. There. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Like in the, the in the vending machine. Yeah. you Put the two bucks oh, in and you get man. a zine out. I haven't been to the Hideout in a while, and they have all that great paintings on the wall. Paintings. you know what? i'm gonna go with my fiance we're gonna we're gonna go you should do that we're well the hideout
1: out. is great and then their sister bar Vito's is just down the street is wonderful and there's oh, good food at Vito's, Vito's is so. fabulous
0: we so we i my buddy's 30th birthday we went to the yeah. cougar room and had a big <laughs> italian dinner there nice. <laughs> yes. oh man those are two i think that that kind of capitol hill first hill mm-hmm. uh, mesh point there mm-hmm. that runs up what is it madison mm-hmm. i think that's one of the most awesome undiscovered little spots there's there's these great little you know you've got town hall there Mm -hmm. uh, you've got vetoes which is amazing and then you've got the yeah the hideout
1: and you've got the very first high-rise affordable housing project to be constructed in like 50 years in seattle going in on madison
0: is that where the mcdonald's was
1: so where the i can't remember if it's the mcdonald's lot or it's certainly right around right in 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 there on madison and so it's uh, i think it's Plymouth and Bellwether if I'm remembering right are sharing it and they're going to build. Uh, Bellwether has been doing units. some good work here Absolutely. In, the, in the city
0: that yeah they're and they're one of the just to return back to policy aren't they one of the orgs that would benefit from not that they would benefit mm. they are not not really for, if they're not for profit right or they're They're a non-for-profit. Yeah. yeah. So they would not that they would benefit but they're <laughs> they would build Yeah, they
1: would build for tenants They would tenants. benefit. Yeah, Absolutely.
0: That's that's awesome. So what do you guys have going on? How can people get involved?
1: So things are changing by the week, but there's going to need to be a real push to get this uh, head tax through, and it may still be in play by the time listeners hear this, or yeah. it may all have been decided. But there are issues coming up almost every week. So accessory dwelling units mm-hmm. uh, are going to be a hot topic. Like mother-in-law type mother, stuff Yeah, can you build a backyard cottage? Can yeah. you turn your basement into an apartment? Right now it's extremely hard to do that in Seattle, and it's such a sensible policy. Like if there was ever just a, like, yeah, that's sensible. You should be able to have a backyard cottage. Mm -hmm. This would be Mm -hmm. it. So liberalizing those rules so you can actually build them, that's coming this summer, is super important.
0: And and I'm assuming that Tech for uh, Housing creates a platform. I mean, are there there meetups? How Mm -hmm. can people get involved?
1: Yep. so we have events and meetups. Uh, We have a uh, coffee event coming on Wednesday, May 16th. Uh, if you're listening to this episode, then probably just in a day or two. Right. And we're specifically doing that because we've had a lot of new membership come on in the last several weeks, and we want to get everybody together and see each other face to face. So come out for coffee May 16th uh, at Roy Street Coffee in Capitol Hill. That's
0: great. We'll put it, I'll put, throw that up on the yeah, post there. Yeah,
1: please do. And then we have sort of calls to action. You know, we are primarily an advocacy group, so there will be calls to, you know, send a letter, send a form letter to council members and the mayor, you know, just enter your name and zip code and click send and, you know, Get the word out that way there will be calls to action to come to council hearings to come to public hearings uh there's still a lot happening on mandatory housing affordability so there's several more public hearings over the next few months that great. people can come to around that great and just check our calendar join our facebook group follow us on twitter there's uh something to do just about every week
0: awesome and we love to end every show with a segment we call if you care about then you should Fill in blanks, Ethan. Uh, I'll go
1: real general. Uh, if you care about housing, then you should get involved in local politics because it is our local politics that is causing this housing crisis.
0: Okay. Uh, hey, thanks for coming on, Ethan. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, let's see what this what happens, right? Today's, <laughs> yep. th- today's the day. I'd like it's to fast a- forward to Monday and see <laughs> what the outcome is. Awesome. That was Ethan P. Goodman, founder and leader of... Seattle Tech for Housing, a community of tech workers who believe that the tech boom can and should benefit every Seattle resident. Check them out online. Just type in Seattle Tech for Housing. It's that simple, man. UpZones is a Cascadia underground production. Thanks to Anthony McPherson for our dope opening sample and the subcons for all the music you hear today. Thanks to Brendan and Naboo for sound. I am your host, Ian Martinez. This has been UpZones, my favorite. And we'll see you next week.